You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, good morning. Man, I love this section of scripture. And in fact, um, John 6 is 71 verses, all focused on Jesus being the bread of life. And so today, we are going to try to cover all 71 verses. Um, and so, um, if you have any lunch plans, please push those forward. Um, but man, this is such a beautiful section of scripture. Um, this week, we're starting a series that's leading up to Easter, and it's called I Am. And what we're going to be doing is looking in the book of John at all of these I am statements of Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he has done for us on our behalf. And, and I love that. Um, so John would be someone who Jesus knew extremely well. And so it was said that John was the same one that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the one that wrote Revelation. John was the one leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. John was even, well, I think he called himself this, but his beloved disciple. Um, and, and so he had this intimate, close relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that I, I love so much is how he writes about Jesus in such a personal and intimate way. Because we have a personal and intimate God that loves us and wants a relationship with us. And so one of the questions that I was, as, as I was preparing was, why are we doing this series? Why would we go, you know, five weeks before Easter, or four weeks before Easter, looking at these I am statements of Jesus? And I think the thing is, is that we all experience different problems in different seasons of life. The world around us, if you would agree with this, is crazy. I mean, just open a news app, watch the news if you still do that, unless you just look at it on your phone, um, politics, inflation, my youngest came home from school this week with lice. So, I mean, things just happen, right? So now all of our belongings are in the garage and bags, right? I mean, that's just, things happen and things are crazy. It almost feels like we're, we're in this perpetual cycle of being in the show American Ninja Warrior. And I don't know if you know what that show is, but I think there's a picture that's going to come up on the screen. But, but here's what American Ninja Warrior is. It is all of these obstacles that these athletes, um, and some not that, non, non-athletes, um, have to try to accomplish and go and run through and, and, and attack. And it's like they're constantly just hanging on by like a finger, Right? They're, they're over this, this water and they're going to fall at any moment. And it just feels sometimes like in life, we're just going from obstacle to obstacle to obstacle to obstacle. And then we get done. And you can even see this in the contestants' eyes. Right? They, they finally land on the platform and then they look up and there's another obstacle in front of them. And they're out of breath and they're going, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And that's kind of where we sometimes can live, is, is in this perpetual cycle of facing obstacles. But Jesus is bigger than any obstacle we can ever face in our entire life. Jesus is the I am that overcomes every problem and every obstacles. He's the treasure we must long for in and through all of these problems and obstacles. So today, Jesus makes this statement I am 
the bread of life. And so this is how we're going to break it down. If you're a note taker um, and you're, you have our, uh, that, that connect sheet that we gave you on your way in, there's some notes on the inside of it if you want to follow along. I'm going to break this down into four parts. Provision, presence, problem, and the person. Yeah, I alliterated for you. Come on. Here we go. Part one, the provision of Jesus. Jesus provides for our physical needs. So this is the story that Lauren just read for us. Jesus comes and he's done some miracles and so people are flocking to him and they are in this place where it's not very easy to find food for 5,000 people. I mean, for us, if, if there were 5,000 people in this church and then we let out service, we would flood all of the restaurants around here and there wouldn't be enough places for us to go. There'd be lines for hours. And so 5,000 people is, and, and what we see here is it's just, even they're just counting the men here. So there's women and children. I mean, there's a lot of people here. And they don't have any way to get food for these people. And it's starting to get late, and people are hungry, and they're getting restless, but they want to be around this teacher, the person, Jesus. And, and so Jesus is, is there, and his disciples are like, what do we do? Do we send them away? they got to go get food. And he's like, well, no, you feed them. And they're like, where, where in the world are we going to get food from in the middle of this place? And, and, and the, in other accounts of this, he asked the question, um, well, what do you have? And so there's a little boy who's not a wealthy little boy. He has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, this is during um, a season where there were some festivals going on. And so there was a lot of travelers coming in and out of this area. And, and so this was just a little boy. And the barley loaves were actually symbolized the fact that he actually was not. He came from maybe a, a lower class family because barley was one of the cheapest things that they made bread out of. And, and so he brings his lunchbox to these disciples and, and he gives it to Jesus. But Jesus does something miraculous with five loaves and two fish. Now, this is a real story. So I think sometimes when we're reading scripture, we can think of it as if like it's the Chronicles of Narnia or Harry Potter. But no, 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 this actually happened in history. People needed food and they had nowhere to go. The disciples lacked faith in how this food was going to come about. This boy's offering was poor and insufficient at best. He wasn't bringing five loaves and two fish saying, let's you know, pull off a crumb off of each of these to feed everybody. I mean, it was poor and insufficient. But Jesus provided above and beyond what anyone needed or deserved. So much so that there were all these baskets of food left over. And so we're looking at this story, and we see that there are these needs that people have. Now, needs are different than wants. Do we understand that? Because often I would say, I need ice cream at night, but that's not necessarily a, a need, that's a want. And that's a silly example of how we live our lives, but that's what we do. I need this. I need the insurance company to come through with this thing. I need this. I need this. I need this contractor to call me back, right? So, I mean, that's the world we're living in right now after post-hurricane. And, and so we have these things that, that are our desires and wants and even some good, right? I'm not saying that these are bad or wrong. Like, they're just... But there are these needs that we have. Food, water, shelter. 
And, and God provides for our needs. And we see that throughout this book. We see, we see Jesus talking about the, the flowers of the field being clothed. How much more so does your father love you? And the birds of the air being fed, how much more does your father love you? And he will provide for you. Philippians 4.19, he will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. He knows what you need. You don't know what you need. Do I need to say that again? He knows what you need. You don't know what you need. You think you know what you need, but he actually knows what you need, and he will provide what he knows that you need even when you don't know you need it. But this story doesn't stand alone. And I think often when we're reading chunks of scripture and we're seeing these, these, these paragraph breaks and these, these chapter headings, we can read it and, and just stop and then go on with our day. But it doesn't stand alone because this is, this is a big story here, a story about a, a person. So now we enter into part two because there's something bigger at play here. We start talking about the presence of God. The presence of Jesus, because Jesus is present in our time of need. Different than Jesus providing for our physical needs, Jesus is present in our time of need. Now let's look at, uh, starting in verse 15, this is what it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus just feeds them. They're super excited because he's providing for their physical need. And so they want to do what? They want to make him king so that he can overthrow the government that's oppressing them so that he can provide for their needs continually so that they can live in this bliss that they desire. So Jesus retreats, goes up into the mountains by himself. His disciples are left collecting food, putting stuff in baskets, and then they get in their boats. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them yet. We, we, we following along with the story? Jesus is in the mountains, disciples are in the boat. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, have you ever tried to row three or four miles in a boat? <laughs> like just... This wasn't a short amount of time. Remember that perpetual cycle of obstacles that we tend to face in life? They're not necessarily short all the time. Three or four miles they're rowing in a bad storm. Do you think that they're freaking out just a little bit? All of a sudden, after they rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. Big word there. They're freaking out. They're rowing three or four miles. Jesus shows up. They're glad to receive him into the boat, and all of a sudden, boom, they're at land. Jesus is present in our time of need. Yes, we have physical needs, food, water, shelter, for some of us, coffee. Jesus gives them fish and loaves when they're hungry. But then we have these times of need. Hurt, pain, storms, brokenness, addiction, 
So then why do you think John writes kind of what seems like this random story about Jesus walking on water here? I mean, this is not just another cool thing that Jesus does that he wants to write down. Because facing a storm, they're scared, alone, desperate. Jesus comes, they receive him, and now the storm is over. We have these different perspectives of Jesus. I think in different seasons of life, our perspective can shift a little bit. But we have to make sure that we allow the word of God, his word, describe who Jesus is to us and let the perspective that we have of God be filtered through the lens of scripture. We can't fabricate our own God. We do that, but we should not do that. We need to allow scripture to illuminate who God is, not what we want to feel or think or believe that he is. So there's this perspective of Jesus that one, he's a provider, he gives stuff, but often that could become our only perspective where he becomes this genie, right? So we go to Jesus when we need something, right? I'm, I'm sick, I'm hurt, I'm in pain, uh, whatever the, the circumstance may be, and we just say, hey God, fix this for me. Like, a, like when our car breaks down, we go to a mechanic. That's how we can tend to perceive God. But that's not all that he is. And we're going to see in a little bit how that's what they saw him as. Someone who was just going to provide what the things that they wanted. But he is a provider. And I'm not minimizing that he provides. And he's there and, and he gives us what we need when we need it. But, but what I'm saying is that's not all that he is. And I think when that becomes our perspective of him, that he's only there to give us what we need, then it really hinders who God is and what he has done for us. And then we could talk about his presence, but often we boil down, belittle his presence to a feeling. And so if we're not feeling God, then we think he's not present. And so we often can see God as like this distant God. He is what we would say is up there. We're on a ball and there's never an up, but yeah, we say he's up there. And we just think he's out there somewhere, distant, but not present, unless we feel him, which again is a false perspective of who he is because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere at all times. He is sovereign. He is always present. But then we belittle it to, well, I can't feel him right now, so he must not be here. Or I don't see him right now, so he must not be here. But he is near. He is present. He knew that they were in the storm when they were in the storm. And so he reveals his presence to them, gets in the boat. But this story doesn't stand alone either. So John writes how Jesus begins to connect the dots between the story of him providing for their needs and his physical presence with them in the boat in these storms. So here is the problem. We, and I'm going to loop you into this. I'm sorry. I'm just going to assume this. We always want more. If you're anything like me, maybe you're not. I, I'm sure you're holier. But we always want more. That's our fallen nature, our sin nature, is that God continually reveals himself and, and reveals his presence. God continually provides, but it's never enough. We can be a never satisfied, very selfish, doubting, untrusting people. And when we lose control, that's when we doubt. 
We want to understand. But here's what happens. The, the, the crowd is looking for him. So they, I don't know if the night happened or what, what's going on, but they, they, I'm guessing, waked up, waked, waked's not a word, woke up, um, and the disciples are gone, and Jesus is gone. One boat's gone, not both boats, and so they start looking around for Jesus. They can't find him. So they are freaking out, and they're like, we want to be around this guy. We want to make him our king. So they get in some boats, and then they go across, and Jesus is there. They knew he was in the mountains. They knew the disciples left, but now all of a sudden, and so they're like, how'd you do that? You just are here now. And this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are, not, or you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So he's revealed his provision. He's revealed his presence. Then this problem comes up where their doubt, their fear, their anxiety overcomes them. And they start again just going to pursue him so that they can get what they want. And Jesus is trying to get to the core of what they need. And so in verse 28, they say, okay, all right. Then what do, you, what do we need to do? What, what is the thing that we need to do? Like, do you need us to like do these 10 acts and then we'll get you? Like, what, do you want us to bow down? Do you want us to give you presents? Like, what can we do to make you our king? And here's how he responds in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe, I'm going I'm to pause there, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's not a five-step process that you have to get through. There's not like all these check marks that you have to check boxes in. Believe that I am who I say I am, I am God. And they don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it. They want more. They're like, ugh, but that doesn't seem like enough. You ever get there with God? You're like, God, I know you said believe, but I, I, I just give me a couple to-dos. I've got to earn this somehow. I say, you can't earn it. You can't accomplish this. Yeah, but God, I mean, come on, I'm a, I'm a self-made man. Like, look at, I, I built this business, I did these things, I built this house with my own hands. Believe. Believe. C.S. Lewis, who is an author and a, a writer, he's the author that wrote um, the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever seen um, or heard of the, like, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, um, and some of those stories. Um, and he starts talking about a picture of a little kid, and it's going to come up on the screen. And I've been in countries that we see this. Um, kids that um, are living in, in the dump, 
they're, they're living in places where the only way they can find sustenance and food and things to live on is, is in the garbage dump of the town. And so these kids live there, and, and often they are covered in mud. And, and as kids do, they, they want to play. And so in the slums, often what they would do is they would make things called mud pies. Like they, they, they play with the mud, and they make, like we would go to the beach and build a sandcastle, they would build things with, with mud. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant to buy the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus offers himself to you, all of himself to you. And it's not enough. At least that's how we feel. And so, like a little kid, we are sitting there making mud pies. Somebody comes along and says, hey, I'm going to take you from this place and I'm going to put you on this all-inclusive cruise for the rest of your life. And we're sitting here going, nah, I'm good. Because we don't know what a cruise is and we don't know what all-inclusive is. Those words mean nothing to us. We can't even picture in our minds what God has in store. And so we're, we, I'm good. I'm going to keep doing these foolish things. I'm going to keep just working on my business so that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I can retire early and play golf for 20 years. Like, that's what we, we do. We, we just sit here and God's like, but I have so much more for you. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't work on your business. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't retire. But I'm saying that God has so much more in store for those who trust him. And his mission doesn't end at retirement. His mission doesn't end when we're done with college. His mission doesn't end when we enter into the workforce. His mission doesn't end when we have our first kid. His mission doesn't end. He's saying, I've got so much more for you just got to leave the mud pies and come give me all of you. I remember I was on this mission trip in Mexico. I was about 16 years old and, and a guy got up on stage and he kind of fumbled through his words, but he said something so huge. He said, we know that God wants us to ask forgiveness for the bad and we know that God wants to praise him with the good, but then we have all this stuff in between that's not really good or bad, it's just the stuff, right? We, we play baseball and we, we hang out with friends and, we, and he's like, but God wants all of it. All of it. The good, the bad, and the in-between. And it was like this light bulb went off inside of me because I'm like, huh, I never knew that my whole life could be placed in faith and trust in him and just give it all to him and then trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, which is glorify himself and give me joy and fulfillment that I would have never experienced if I tried to hold on to some of it. And so the problem arises when we have these needs and these wants and these desires and we just want God to fix our problems. And he's saying, I did. I did on the cross. 
The biggest problem any single one of us will ever face in our entire life is the fact that we were eternally separated from a holy God. And because we were separated because of our sin, we were enemies of God, which meant that for all of eternity, we were going to be separated for the, from the being that we were created to be around. And so God came, wrapped himself in human flesh, lived a life of perfection, something you and I couldn't do, died on our behalf, and then didn't just die, but rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. We say that often here. Why? Because that is the truth of the gospel, that he is alive now, and he comes to you, and he says, believe. Believe in me. And we have this problem where we're like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can stop making these mud pies. And here's part four, the person. Jesus truly is all we need. Verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's inviting you, believers, Christians, those that don't believe, he's inviting you today to believe in him, that he is all you need. Not just the provision in your times of need, not just the, the times that you, you have of the problems and the experiences and the obstacles where, where you need his presence. He is saying believe in him for everything. And in verse 61, we come to this phrase where Jesus says to all these people, because they're freaking out right now, because Jesus goes into this discourse where he says to them, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now that sounds a little odd. And he's using it metaphorically, but they're sitting here like, wait, hold on, this is hard for us to understand. Like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, I'm not getting this. This is a foreshadowing of the Last Supper where he's breaking bread and, and, and having the juice and, he's, and that's what we do to take communion, right? We're remembering what he has done, but he's saying, I am giving myself to you. All of me for all of you. You can have it all. So partake in me. And they go, ah, I don't know. It sounds a little, little difficult. Surrender all the stuff? Like give God everything? Like that's... that's and, and this is what he says in verse 61. He says, do you take offense of this? Does this offend you? That I'm all you need? And you know what happens? One by one by one, they start to leave. Even some of those that, that were following him for a long period of time, some of, uh, not the apostles, but the, some disciples that they called them, um, started to leave. Because that was a lot for them to say, wait, I gotta give up everything? I've got I've to trust you with everything, God. He's saying, yes, believe in me, trust me. I am the bread of life. They placed his provision and his presence on the balance scale of their desires. And they didn't believe it was beneficial enough to let go of the control. John Piper, who is a pastor and an author, wrote this. Jesus came into the world to change your desires so that he would be your main desire. And he goes on to say, he did not 
come to be useful, but to be precious. And so there's this response. Verse 30, which he says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that he is the bread of life. So here's how, here's how it ends. Many experience his provision. A few people experience his presence. Both had the same problem. They both wanted more. But one leaves and the other doesn't. Now let's look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Here's what Simon Peter said. I love how transparent and truthful Simon Peter is, even when he doesn't understand. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus affirms them in verse 70 and says, I have chose you. Jesus is here and present right now with us to be a reminder that he is the bread of life that we need. He wants you to know that he loves you and desires a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with him. And so there are some here today that are like the crowd. They experience God's provision, maybe some of his presence, but they're not willing to fully surrender and believe that Jesus is all we need. And Jesus is saying to you, I am the bread of life. Believe in me. There are times where Jesus does reveal himself in mighty ways, and there are times that, that he does it in small ways little intricate ways. There's, there was a moment recently, uh, Drew, I love that you're here, man. Um, Drew had his appendix burst two weeks ago, um, burst. And so he goes to the hospital, he's in the hospital nine days. Um, and, and it was a really difficult season for him and his family. He went home and then got an infection and had to go back to the hospital. Super discouraged, right? Um, gets back in the hospital. And Jose and Stephen uh, Carlton, two of our pastoral residents, went with their sons, Caleb and I believe Jacob, um, and, huh? and Saba, oh, Saba. Um, and they went to pray over Drew. Um, they laid hands on him, they prayed over him, and um, right before the surgery, the doctors rescanned him to figure out where the abscesses were and what was causing this infection, and the infection was gone. Sometimes God reveals himself in huge, miraculous ways. Was your faith any different today than it was two weeks ago? Yeah. But God doesn't always reveal himself in that way. And there are some times in our lives where we bring something before the Lord over and over again, and God's answer might be, not right now. And so we continue to deal with the pain and the hurt and the frustration. There may be other times where he knows it's what's best, that he doesn't heal that ailment or that issue or that, that problem in your life on this side of eternity. But there is a promise of forever. 
And that promise is that his life, his death and resurrection enables you to believe in him so that one day every ailment, every problem, every hurt, every habit, every hang-up, every disagreement, every argument will just be gone. And that we will be in his presence fully forever and ever. And God wants you to know that that's what he's accomplished for you and that's what you need is you need him, the person, to believe in him that he is all you need. And then there are some here that are his disciples. We trust Jesus for our salvation, but guess what? It doesn't mean we don't struggle every day. We just went through the book of Ephesians. We see that the struggle is real. Sometimes we feel like American Ninja Warrior, right? We're hanging on by a finger. But he's reminding you right now in this very moment by saying, I am the bread of life, that he is present and that he will provide for your needs. He is the bread of life that you need. Trust him, believe in him alone, not the stuff or the circumstances that you are facing. So this is not just a message for those that don't believe. This is a message for those to believe, to continuing to stand firm in the belief that he has given you because you are chosen. You have been adopted and he loves you. So no matter where you are in this room, you could, be, you could think you're the furthest away from God and that, you, that he could never even find you. Guess what? He is present, he is near, and he wants you to know he loves you. And you could be someone that feels like you sit at his feet every single day and you do and that's beautiful and awesome. He wants you to know he is for you and that his mission is for you to go and share with others how good he is and how much he loves everybody you're in contact with. Here's how I wanna end as the band comes on up. He came to forgive our sins, to clothe us with his righteousness, to make himself our treasure, and to seal our eternity forever and to set us on a mission to seek and save the lost. By Peter making a declaration in that moment saying, where else can we go, should we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is a moment there in his belief that started forming where he he began to realize that he is a part of the mission that God has created him for. If you're a believer in this room today and you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and you have left the mud pies in the slum and you have gone at the holiday of sea and you have your eyes fixed on eternity, God wants to use you in a mighty way to every person, every man, woman, and child that's around you so that they may know the goodness of the Lord. And it's your testimony that's going to help them understand who he is and what he has done for them. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How will people ever know about him if no one goes and shares this good news? We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. Now let's go and share that good news with the world that he is the bread of life and that he is all we need. Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus. You are a provider. You are present. And often 
we face so many difficult circumstances and issues in our life that that begin to take our focus away from you. And we begin to magnify our problems over the God who controls all things. And so God, I pray that we would begin to take our eyes off these mud pies. I pray that we would begin to to stop worrying about the things of this world and that we would fully surrender everything that we had, the the bad, the good, and all of the in-between that through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing because of what you have done on the cross, that our faith and our trust would be in you and you alone, and that we, Lord, would serve you knowing that eternity is gonna be the most beautiful thing we will ever experience in our entire lives, and that in you we will experience joy and life to the full. God, if there's anybody here today that has not surrendered their life fully, God, I pray that right now, in this very moment, you would stir something in their heart and in their mind to put their full trust and their faith in you. God, we love you. We worship you. Before you open your eyes, if you would just keep your eyes closed, I want to specifically pray for some of those people. If right now in your life you are struggling to surrender everything to him, if right now in your life you are struggling to understand who he is and what he has done for you. And this is for both Christians and non-Christians. This is for people that, that would profess faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and for those that say, I'm still struggling. If right now you are struggling to fully trust in God is all that you need, would you lift your hand up so that I can see it? Amen. Thank you. Tim, myself, Steve, our deacons, our elders, church members, believers, brothers, sisters, if right now you would take a moment, and I know that you maybe didn't see the hands that went up around you, but if you would pray right now specifically that whoever is struggling, even for those that didn't want to raise their hand but are still struggling with this, would you pray right now for your brothers and sisters, that God would do something and move in their hearts and their minds through the power of the Spirit. Would you do that right now? Would you pray over them? second thing I'd like to ask you to do is I want you to sit before the Lord and I want you to ask God to place somebody's name on your heart that needs to hear 
that God is all that we need, that he is the bread of life. Through your story, through your testimony, maybe a loved one, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Um, so just sit before the Lord and just ask him for a name. My encouragement to you is write that name down and start praying for that person. Would you do that now? Father, as we stand and continue in our worship, as we stand and sing praises, God, I pray that you would move mightily throughout this room, you would stir in our hearts, and remind us that you are all we need. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.